We're going to be in 2 Kings. We're going to pick it up in chapter 11. Mean kings, bad schemes, yet the Lord reigns the world. Thank you. Does anybody else want water delivered to you? Ken is a great servant. You do? <laughs> you can have my bottle. Which has caused some people to be very alarmed what's happening. Well, the Bible's happening. So one of the things that I believe was an encouragement to our students at the college is that in trying to describe what it means as God being sovereign, there was a phrase that I came up with that I think is still applicable. That in world events, when there are, in fact, mean kings, and there is bad schemes, not only from them, but from their constituents or culture. What is going on? Is God any less? Because evil seems to be able to permeate what we would call civility and provoke indecencies malicious and cruel attacks on people. They'd either injure them or terminate them. Is God any less supreme? So the answer is no. Any more than your baby who, in different stages of their life, will act out and we have the power to govern over how much acting out they can do, and we should govern them in how much acting out they can do, for that develops discipline and inevitably trust, as well as fear, holy fear. There's nothing wrong with the word fear when it is in the context of respect and godly discipline. Which is why we as believers find ourselves of great necessity to be in his word and instructed in how to make sense of things when they are senselessly being done by kings in positions of authority ruling over us. So the reason that Second Kings, at least at this point, is important is because we see literally God faithfully in sovereignty making an allowance on the chessboard of life for particular players to be used by him, which ultimately renders a lineage of his faithfulness to a people that he has elected for the promises and for the land that currently right now is under assault, Israel, and that Jesus himself will come back to very shortly, and that the church in her beauty and in her adornment, in her giftings and empowerment, and in the Lord's pledge to her as his bride will be rescued. It's really important to know that we have nothing to prove to God that we are his bride. 
He only is now remaining to prove himself as our bridegroom, and he will come to the rescue. For it is God's will that none would perish, and certainly that includes the bride of Christ. When we look at the Bible, we are understanding the lineage presented to us and ultimately through the Jewish nation, but God then moving in discipline to her sets his eyes upon a nation contrary, not even having the oracles of God and giving them the word of truth and the spirit of God that would inevitably be a provocation to the Jews to make them jealous. Who are these people that come to our land and profess Yeshua, Jesus, as Messiah? Who are they? And by the way, we're hearing of how some of the military people are asking those questions right now about food that's being delivered and particular necessities of armament, personal, ceramic or Kevlar vestings, because they're being provoked in a very special way. See, they can ask questions about our faith. We are not to be asking questions about their faith. So this is simply an overlay right now to say you need to be certain and understand that in the definition of sovereignty, which I now will give you, which is simply this, as far as I can tell, it's an original, but it is something that we would come to agreement with in looking at our own lives. God will act on his behalf regardless of our behavior whether we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth and in sincerity, or whether we have turned our back on him in apostasy, false doctrine, whatever it may be, God in his sovereignty will act on his behalf, regardless of our behavior. We don't worship him more to make him greater in his sovereignty. He is sovereign. Whatever he permits is not an error, even though to us, we would say, what are you doing? And God would say most assuredly, my will, thank you very much. What are you doing? Well, Abraham, I'm challenging you. I called you, you came, you waited, you have a son. I want your son dedicated to me. We never heard a word from Abraham, no matter what Hollywood's movies may project, in which he violated his trust in the Lord. He simply prepared Isaac, but he had a caveat statement such as, I and the lad shall return. Moses, literally from what we would say obscurity, only because hidden from him for a season was his lineage, until in the provocation of seeing a brutality upon the Jewish people, was he able to have his heart touched? Those are my people. And choosing to turn his back on a world system, which is what Egypt represents, he tracked across the burning sands of desert places. 
He would be the means by which God would say, I'm going to deliver my people. Joshua was the other who faithfully ministered beneath Moses, serving all of those years as a general to all of a sudden become the leader. Moving in literally to a prophetic office of hearing the voice of God and directing the people to follow in sincerity and trust without wavering. And he's the one that was invited to cross those people over into the promised land that Abraham's promise as a covenant would be realized ultimately in the possession of a place that was stinking with sinful inhabitants. You need to understand that God was always redemptively working to clean up the mess of humanity that was brought about by the consequence of sin. And the penalty of sin was death. And in order to satisfy redemptively that consequence, God would have a plan that ultimately would be a better picture and a permanent fix by testing Abraham and his faith. Can your faith be tested like Abraham? Yes. Can the promises that God has given to you be tested by impenetrable obedience in which you're going, oh my word, how can we possibly get through that? The fortresses that are before us Every one of those men ultimately had to say in a resignation of faith, holy is his name. He is the great I am. He is the one that can do greatly anything that he's called me to do as I am. He's the great I am and he can achieve greatly everything that he's called me to do as I am. All of us are as I am who serve the great I am. And he's the one that gets the boasting points in whatever he achieves in our life, in our church. David, of course, came up. And he was the one that very humbly said, I've taken on lions and bears that come after my lambs. Do you think that that giant is anything for God to deal with? So back to this. What's happened? Well, all of these people, that song that I sung, preceded these kings that have messed up everything. The kingdom now is split in two, the northern kingdom with ten, the kingdom of Judah, which oversees Jerusalem, doing much better, and they're doing much better because God's got a better thing that's going to happen to that place that he says, my son will come there. And he will deliver the entire world by his sacrifice into my hands. Do you understand that? Jesus came to deliver the entire world into God's hands to be forgiven. So there you go. Are we through with 2 Kings now, chapter 11 and 12? Now we got like an hour to kill. We're good. But I want to let you know that, that as I'm compelled to do something spontaneous, it is not without my own reservation. Some of you saw me ditch 
back and forth in there. I'd like to tell you it was to get my ties straight and get things, you know, voiced up. But I was dealing with, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? The band hasn't even practiced with me. They hate it when I do these things. They've got a union that could hurt me. They've got friends out there that they know better than me. So what I was doing was I was dealing with my own insecurities. And then I'm going, wait a minute, I put my guys under this all the time. I put my musicians, students under this all the time. So maybe for you, and that's the preamble, you're hearing a song and you're going to hear a teaching that's intended to put you at rest in a time in which the crises of these days are making you unsure of the step that you're to take. By the way, it doesn't mean that you're all headed to Israel or to Sudan or to Mexico. It doesn't mean that you aren't. But I know where you ought to be headed every single week, and that's to the house of the Lord. And you've come, and maybe for you, that's what you need to hear. Be faithful to that charge. Okay, let's go to Second Kings. We'll see what there is to discover with regard to where we left off and why in this chapter there is still the refrain, the dirge, the sad song that these kings have continued to play. Some of them start out well. Some of them from the beginning were bad. Why did they miss the mark? What's going on? Jehu was the last one that we looked at. The last teaching was Jehu's boo-boo. And so this is what it says. Just before we enter into chapter 11, 31 is the sad, if you would, epitaph of Jehu. For it says, notice this, Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, God of Israel, with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who made Israel sin in the shortness of it. He just chose to remain in sin and trespass. But, Rich, I know what you're saying because the verse proceeds and this is what it says. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So I understand that. God has commendable things to say to all of us in that which we have done according to his will. But he also has some things that he would say, not so good. That's not what I wanted you to do in the victory that I gave you in your zeal to accomplish something for me. In other words, if Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David in achieving the great things that they did terminated it and the punctuation of their life was they took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord. They made errors humanly. That is recorded. Abraham lacked a little bit of trust when it took a little bit too long. Moses had a temper that would get the best of him at least twice that the scriptures record. 
Joshua would end up just a little bit on the side of arrogancy when he did not see something evident, the inspection of some foreigners that came in and to, in their costume, in this costume season, he did not test them. We're in a costume season. This parking lot, which I say is the church's parking lot, hosted a lot of people that probably are not here today, but they were next door, and their thrill was to get scared. Well, if they looked at the newspaper, and if they read their Bible, they would have a better opportunity to be scared straight than to be scared into hell. Do we have some that are going to heaven that visit houses that are haunted? I'm sure we do. That's not the point that I'm making. What I'm saying is I'd sure like to see those people that went there to be in the house of the Lord here today. I've heard that chainsaw go off like three times since I come in late at night to put things in order. There's a guy that dresses up with a ski mask and shows me he's a big lumberjack chases people around the cars, which then tells me he's not a good lumberjack. He's a joke. He's an illusion. His gig is to promote fear, get somebody's adrenaline flowing. But God can do that quite well in these times. And we need to have an answer of assurance. Proceeding on, Jehu will be replaced and here's where in chapter 11 it begins. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, there was a judgment, she arose and destroyed all the royal errors. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons, who were being murdered, and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. I know that in the lineage of the monarchy, it can be a little bit confusing, but we're only looking at two sides of Israel, the northern kingdom which by and large was the larger one in the dispatch of people. But they were sickeningly the most vile. They were the ones who truly engaged willfully in apostasy, no longer following the Lord. Whereas in Jerusalem, by and large, they were preserved in the integrity to seek the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. What was the reason for that? Because God had put it in their heart. He'd put it in their heart, not necessarily comprehendingly, but in their heart to preserve integrity and holiness for that place because there would be one who would come into that place and present himself both as God and the sacrifice for the world. It's a pretty dynamic story that the smallest of the tribes would be the ones, the keepers of the house of God. 
and would do their very best to remain undefiled and without corruption to the charge of God. It's a pretty special point here. Now, this is something that you need to understand. This position that was taken by this woman was not given to her. It was taken. I do not know how she had the power to be in a position that had never been authorized, but sometimes we do see that even in our own lives, and we see it certainly in politics that people that ought not be there have made somehow alliances that have put them there. And this is one in which this woman truly was sinister. She was going after actually a king in the making, and this was this little boy. I don't know. Maybe she didn't like little boys. There is at times a dislike for certain people that represent to the world God. There are people that at times find themselves confrontational to the work of God. It happens. And when it happens, there are consequences. Joash would be the one that was saved by the heart of a woman, while on the other end, this older woman had no heart for God whatsoever. See, there's a contrast. There's both men and women who do awesome and beautiful things for God, and there are those as well, even among women, who do things contrary to God. One of the things I know is that as members of his body, we do things that are harmonious with the Spirit of God. That's what we desire to do. So this woman in a temporary position is going to suffer opposition inevitably by God and ultimately by those say she doesn't belong here. And what she's intended to do is destroy a lineage of godliness. It's really important to know that God's given us an authority in the home and in our vocations in which we say the lineage of godliness is being destroyed here. We're not going to permit that. You see now parent groups that are coming, if you would, on the world stage as those to be respected because moms and dads are saying, this is nonsense what's going on in the schools. This is godless. This is secularism. This is hedonism. This is a masquerade. We're not doing that. And that's commendable. They're voicing themselves at the PTA meetings and the board meetings. They're challenging those who are in education as authoritative figures who have invited both gender neutrality and confusion, a disposition that violates the laws of God. There's a war out there. They even say that as a result of what we now can say is certainly a war that mimics a world war. We've got a divided country. There should be no division, but there is division. And it's happened because there's been a compromise in following the lineage of God. 
and through the nation of Israel in particular, who were the ones who delivered the oracles of God into our hands, which this Bible represents. Multiculturalism, which we now have embraced, and that means each to his own as opposed to each one of you to our own. Of many, one. Now we say, hmm, of many, of many. Come on in, do your thing. Why? When anybody gets to do their own thing, things happen that are quite consequential. My kids don't get to come simply into my home and do their thing. Now you may say, that sounds so unfatherly. No, it just makes sense. I'm their father. Now they've grown up. But as little kids, they just didn't get to do their own. We planned the things that they did. We saw that what they did, they did well. Doesn't mean they didn't have opportunity and liberty for expression, but it never violated the laws of God concerning obedience to us as parents. As a result, we have enjoyed a wonderful rearing of our kids and of their friends. God's the same as God the Father. So Athalia right now is self-appointed, but she's had a league of those who have invested in her. She's wicked. She follows in the bloodline, if you would, of Ahab, just a Jezebel. And it's happened because she has not been a woman of faith. We know that there have been great women, women presented in the word who, because of their love for God, were positioned to have wonderful appointments. This is not one of those appointments, but in God's sovereignty, it is an allowance. What does it do to us when there are bad people, bad kings, bad queens in a position of authority? Always scheming to the consequence of the believing causes us to pray. It should cause us to pray. One woman comes and protects the king. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. This is the royal apparent. Then the command then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. This is saying, We're going to put a guard over whom we know to be in line for the position that this counterfeit has had. You see, we have to be those who perhaps we miss on somebody's placement but it doesn't mean we can't pray for their displacement, for a change to take place. We need to be praying for a displacement of those people who are heretical. They don't understand the Bible. They don't care about God. Or at one time they did, but they're apostate. They've turned back from God. We have many powerful people who have microphones just like this, and they have cameras just like that. 
and they influence people against God and against the church because we have principles that we stand on and we have a God whom we desire to walk with obediently. It's not vogue. It's contrary. As Israel faces off with an enemy on all sides, the church globally, but also, if you would, in community, we have our own enemies, and it is a world system that Satan incites to dislike us. Think of the issues that they do not want to be told, rather those things that they want us to surrender, righteousness and holiness, the advocacy of one God in three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, can't we? That is so paternal. That is so bigoted. We want God represented in multiculturalism. We want to be those who can take spirituality to a different level, multi-level, acceptability. Can't we coexist? The bottom line, God would say, yeah, I've tried. It doesn't work. So what I did is I put myself in that. It didn't work. Your little Rubik's Cube solution to what I've said is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor even as yourself. That's what I want. The other is irrelevant. I am not in to spreading myself thin. I am in to bringing life to the dead and mercy to those who are going to be judged. And so the picture here is that now there's this rally to protect this young king in the making. God has been protecting his bride in the making. He's protecting her now. I'm not implying we're king. We are his bride. But if I had to make a choice between what is more significant to be a position as a king I'll take as a bride, and then he throws in the other, which is as a royal priesthood. That's what I'll take. I'll be the bride, and I'll be a part of a royal priesthood. The politics of the king, that's for God himself. I can't handle that. I'm not meant to be a king, but I do really good as a priest. I do really good as a gifted bride. That's what God says his church is. When I'm in this walk, I do really good. I feel really good about myself. And I feel confident in the things that God says he's in charge of. So protection is being put here. One-third shall be at the gate, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep watch over the house, lest it be broken down. Don't allow it to be broken down. When I come out here, I check doors to make sure the house isn't broken down. Yeah, you could. That little shop right next door got broken down. We've got glass doors on it, too. I've seen community doors smashed by brick throwers. I've seen the consequence. I haven't seen the brick throwers. God probably doesn't want me in that part of it because of maybe how I would handle it. I don't know. 
but I'm mindful that he places a guard on this place. And I thank him for doing that. And on our homes, I thank him for doing that. And so all of this that we see right now is God behind the scenes, but nevertheless over the scenery and the appointments that mean kings, those who have done very evil and wicked things, those who have been scheming against God will be put ultimately in their place, subdued by God who is sovereignty. I will act on my behalf regardless of the behavior of men and women. I will act on my behalf. You shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. This beautiful contingency force that has swords. Well, we have a sword in our hands. It's our Bible. I know the picture. You may say, that doesn't sound powerful. God says it is powerful. Living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of a man's heart. So God says, powerful. Peter's sword, inaccurate, divisive. The sword, my word, powerful. How does the king need protection? Well, the king himself in his sovereignty doesn't, but he allows us to be a force that protects the bride whom both we are and we are also prayer warriors for her. God isn't per se into the multi multiculturalism, but he is into mutual, if you would, multifaceted giftings in which we get to do a lot of stuff that does a lot of good because God's with us. The king is going to be surrounded he will be protected. And so the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada, the priest commanded. Each of them took the men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada, the priest. I like that. On duty on the Sabbath. Thank you for being on duty on the Sabbath. Thank you that today, when this concludes, you'll also have a time of rest. But it's interesting because though you're on duty on the Sabbath, it is also something the Lord say, this is your rest. Huh? It's your rest. You're going to be better in the week, the days that now will soon follow, because you took a rest while on duty in the house of God. Great picture. The priests gave the captains of hundreds and sp with spears and shields, which had belonged to King David, that were in the temple of the Lord. And then this escort stood Every man with his weapon in his hand all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house, he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. This young boy preserved by the heart of a woman who said that person will not be subject to early demise, I will keep him and I will bring before him his constituency. I will bring to his side warriors. 
he will remain in the house of the Lord. He will inevitably be an effectual priest. How so as a priest? The king could function in at least three of those offices at particular times, but independent, not all three at once, but as a king, he could be a king that prays for God's will, that he might dispatch those who in authority under him could accomplish the things that God wants done. Remember, even though in the getting done of things that are what God wants us to do, will we be faithful to the exhaustion of our office, our position, our life, to have made it to that finish line in which God says, yeah, you did it. You faced the enemy, good job. And you remain devotional to me to the end. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy salvation. Essentially, not your salvation, the salvation that God has provided and everything that awaits us in a tenure in which many of us and in the last days, because of fear, could run from God. Do you know that the last days, the provocation of fear will cause the love of many to grow small or to not even be apparent to any because of fear? Athalia gets a judgment. And now when Athalia heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was, it says, the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athalia tore her clothes and cried out, Treason! Treason! And that's why even to some degree, patriotism over the worship of God can be a problem because those who love the Lord, their God, the God of Israel, can be subject by patriotism to be treasonous to a cause which is political, not spiritual. We have a king whom we follow, a Lord whom we have surrendered to. We're the ones that ought to change, if you would, the direction of politics to be the one in which God is honored. By the way, the new House Speaker is being subject to torment and mockery because he is a believer. Did you know that? He's a believer. He took office with prayer. He might have even commissioned it, had his Bible. He lets his faith be known. He's being mocked by the media rudely, harshly. He's taking hits for being a man who would be in the third position in power. And so, you know, you've got the Senate and you've got the House. Those speaker positions are hugely important. Hugely important. And he's there pronouncing faith. Not in faith. Not in secularism, but in Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. He's put confidently 
if you would, his faith on the firing line. And so she says, treason, treason, and Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, take her outside, under guard, and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. She's going to be punished, but it's not going to be in here. We prayed here for him. We now will set her out where she will be adjudicated. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. We need to be the Lord's people. We need to reestablish, if you would, in our hearts, our covenant. We need to make sure that you are not ashamed to say Israel is God's people. That's Israel's land. That's what God said. God's word is good enough for me. I don't care about the politics and I don't care about the two-state solution. Those are men's ideas. That's not God's idea. I'll support what God says. I'll support Israel and what they now are motivated to do. By the way, when you look at their behavior as a military nation and you understand that they go through great precautions not to hurt the innocent, they truly go through unprecedented precaution not to hurt the innocent but to surgically remove the cancer of evil. They don't get any credit for it. They're very precise. They're renowned for their mercy. Why? Because they represent a merciful God. When you see them in military tactics, their restraint has been put upon them by God. How so? What evidence do we have? Because when the character that we talked about, Joshua moved in to take care of the promised land, and he was to remove literally every populous group to the ground. Rahab was the one who made provision for the spies to be saved. She made an appeal, and they said to her, hang out from your window this scarlet robe or sheet, and we will see it, and all those who are with you shall be saved. The entire Walls of Jericho were falling at the cry to God after the marching. But when the walls fell, then the army surged and they were protected by God. Though they were in their genealogy enemies of God, they became believers of God and they were saved. Because in the heart of the Jewish warrior is to be merciful, to be gracious, to have those turn from their wickedness to God, the provision of a merciful God. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars, images, and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of the hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the king, so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Pretty amazing, because he was appointed to be 
which is why we say even to the youth and which is emphasized in the word Paul's writing in the book of Timothy that we are not to allow our young people, our youth, to be looked down upon. When I have the privilege of teaching them as well as Dale and Rivers and our guests that come in, we look at them and we esteem them. They're wonderful. They came over to the house last night and to have them both welcomed in and to hear in maturity what they were doing in both worshiping the Lord, teaching the Word of God, pretty amazing. They're the next generation, but we also are with them. And we're not going to change. And politics should never be permitted to do anything other than challenge us even more greatly in our faith on what we will do for God, what we will not do for man. Even a nation as great as we have, it's only by God's grace that we live in a great nation. So pray for Israel. Pray for those who in missions move from this place to those other places. But also remember, don't take lightly the place that you're at presently. This is as much a mission field where you're at as to those other places where people go. You're serving God by being here today because he has only presented himself in his sovereignty as one who desires fellowship with him, and we're practicing it now for what we will do for eternity later. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessings that in moving from this study, considering in many areas of, of this teaching, just principles that we see, we thank you for the word that we possess, the sword of the Spirit. We thank you for your Spirit indwelling us. Lord, the Spirit which convicts us, the Spirit which endues us with power and giftings which are so marvelous to be able to invest into your kingdom.